Craft Beer Radio, the 27th of September, 2006. This is episode 54, Oktoberfest, live on location. Radio, the show for craft beer and the craft brewing industry. I'm Greg Weiss. And this is Jeff Bear. We are coming to you live on tape from Sharp Edge Creek House in Crafton, Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. We are doing this because we decided, well, Oktoberfests are best on tap, and at least it displaces at least two Oktoberfests on tap. We're supposed to have three, but someone screwed up, so we got two (laughs) on tap, two in bottle. Okay, the first beer, the one we got poured in front of us here, is the Anger Oktoberfest. 5.8% 5.8% alcohol by volume. It's a fall release, of course, as all fresh Oktoberfest, all fresh Martzen-style Oktoberfest should be. This is a, uh, a Martzen-style, like I said, started in 1876, Munich, Germany, and the brewery tour has a 3D laser light show. So if you <laughs> want to get the kids involved in the brewery tour, best way to do it. Get 3D glasses? Yeah. 3D glasses? It's a laser show. Oh. It's like Laser Floyd, but it's with beer. There were some 6,000 breweries in Bavaria alone in the 1880s. Of these, approximately 650 are still in operation today. A nice little point that uh, Jeff scoured in his Oktoberfest research. Poppy aroma on this one. It's you think hoppy or yeasty? I guess yeah, yeasty. yeasty. I think you know yeasty with maybe there's a little bit of kind of a citrusy uh, aroma in there, which is giving you kind of a hop flavor. But there's also there's a good amount of 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 maltiness, a, a sweetness that can be detected there. These are served in these Iyengar glasses, which are... Uh, How would you explain these? They're well, a they're, pedestal they're like, glass? Yeah, a, pedestal, a pint glass on a pedestal. By the way, the color is, of course, a, uh, a tannish, uh, not quite as dark as an as a iced tea or something like that. There's some orange to it. It's, uh, oh, I call it delicious, first <laughs> off. Nice malty flavor. With a bit of a citrusy tang, like we were smelling. Um, that's probably from the hops. Yeah, there's certainly a hop bite at the end there. And the yeah, malt there's bitterness. There's definitely bitterness at the end. Bready maltiness. That's it. I'm glad we did draft beers. <laughs> That's tasty. <laughs> it really is. It's different than, than what I've been getting. Like, uh, I just, uh, you know, had some more Oktoberfest over the weekend. And this one is really different than the bottle of Brooklyn that I have. Okay. We should talk a little bit about the Sharp Edge Creek House where we are. Let's bring on an interview with Hart, who is the general manager here at the Sharp Edge Creek House, to give us a little bit of the lay of the land. This is Hart. He, uh, he works here. Are you a manager here? Yes, I am. He's a manager here at the Sharp Edge. and uh, general manager here. Oh, you are the general manager. Okay, so you are the man in charge. He's allowing us to use up a couple tables of his tonight, and uh, we'll get some promotion out of it, right? So. Sure. <laughs> So, Actually, uh, I was in Belgium uh, two weeks ago, and there, were two, there was somebody from Virginia and somebody from Portland that recognized me from your show oh, from really? the uh, All-American Beer Festival, Oh, awesome. which I, I vaguely remember, but apparently it was a good time. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. How was Belgium? Uh, Belgium was fantastic. It was, uh, we were over there for eight days, went to 15 breweries, had a great time. Where were some of the uh, breweries that you stopped at? Uh, there was Cantillon, uh, Schoof. Uh, Shoes Brew Pub, which was uh, the 12 Fourquette, uh, then Steenberg, Bavik, uh, Hanson's Lambics, uh, drawing a blank here, okay. uh, well, Fontenayne, lots. What were some <laughs> of the coolest things there you saw? Like, uh, I mean, I heard like you can like walk to Cantillon. I was like, oh my god. <laughs> yeah, I did walk to Cantillon. Actually, from Cantillon, I, I talked to Jan at Cantillon, and uh, somebody was in there picking up. He was a tour guide for Brussels. He was actually picking up a few cases for his next tour, and Jan demanded that I go to the Brussels Beer Festival, and I said, I'm on foot. I have no idea where I am. I don't know where I'm going. Uh-huh. The, the gentleman picked up the cases of beer, said something to Jan in French. Jan said something back in French. Jan goes, you're going. He's driving you. So I got to go to a beer festival that I hadn't planned on going to, and had a great time there. That's awesome. So I got thoroughly lost in Brussels after that. Very, very cool. So... Why don't you tell us a little bit about the Sharp Edge? You guys have a ton of Belgian beers here. Yes, we do. Uh, some people claim that you have the best Belgian beer selection in America. I don't know if you guys claim that yourselves. Uh, we claim the best Belgian beer selection in America, yes. Okay. So it's uh, we know people have more 
but I think we have better. Okay. What uh, are we have, some we have more, more Belgians on tap that you're going to find almost anywhere else in right. the world, I think. Well, what are some of the things you do to get these Belgians on tap that, that other bars don't do? Is there anything special that you do? I think it's more of the guts just to put 20 Belgians on tap. Because, okay. you know, when you're charging $10 a glass for some of these, uh, a lot of bars won't do it. So I think it's more of we have the guts to do it. Okay. So. <laughs> I've been to a couple of bars that have a good Belgian selection, but nothing like here. It's always been it, always a treat to come here, especially the happy hour deal. Which yeah, is half price Belgians. Half price Belgians and happy hour, there's no place you can get that. And so you get a great selection and you get a great price. Uh, what are some of the more notable Belgians you have on tap right now? Uh, right now, uh, we have the Gooden Curls Triple, which is, when we can get it, always moves quickly. Uh, Chimay, world class, it's a Trappist. Uh, a few places have it, but you know, we never not have it on tap. It's always okay. on tap. Uh, we just go put the uh, Silly Saison on. It's a nice little slightly tart amber beer. Okay. Uh, Still have the Lindemann's Palm, the Apple on. Uh, probably going to replace that soon, but still nice to have. Hopefully it doesn't taint your tap lines like the uh, Framboise does. Uh, I'm going to coincide replacing it with uh, the line cleaning day. Oh, so. okay. Uh, we always have one of my favorites, Pirat. Okay. So. Very cool. Uh, Pirat is, a, um, is the barley wine, right? Is that, uh, uh, Pirat, the importer calls it a triple IPA. Uh, I call it just a ridiculously strong golden ale. Yeah. So. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, thanks very much. No problem. Thank you. Yep. Thanks. All right. Thank you, Hart, for that pre-recorded segment. <laughs> you can tell the noise levels because it was a little bit pre-recorded. Okay. So, let's see. Mm. Anything else you want to say This is about? really tasty. It's got a carbonation level that isn't too harsh. Which you'd sort of expect at a draft. Draft is going to be a slightly less carbonation than bottle. Yeah, a little more mellow than a bottled one. Only your second trip out to an actual bar during Craft Beer Radio, and the last one was during a post show. Right. No, we, we, we cut in well. for Oktoberfest, and it was Spaden, which we're actually going to try right. again, so we'll compare that. So I forgot to print out the BGCP list, but a Oktoberfest style of beer mm-hmm. is. It's a Marchin style lager. Marchin style lager. It's a. Uh, Harvest type lager from mm-hmm. Germany. The hop harvest, the the barley harvest, probably primarily is what they're celebrating. The or I guess Oktoberfest is celebrating all the harvests yeah. with beer. And the style is typically a nice malt forward beer, so you get a little bit of breadiness, uh, mm, biscuity maybe in some styles. Would you say? I would tend. I think they kind of go away from biscuity. It tends okay. to be more kind of a sweeter malt flavor. Yeah, yeah. I guess you're right. A little more of a, a Kind of caramel, but yeah, caramel. Maybe a little tiny bit of toffee. No, it doesn't go too far into that toffee area, but just a little bit of a, a sort of a roasted sugar, and certainly hoppier than like a bock would be. Yes, but it's not really a hop forward beer per se. As this, well, I'm actually surprised by the amount of hop flavor I'm getting in this right. one. You know, spoiled American palates. You always wonder like how hoppy a traditional style beer is. Yeah, and this one seems pretty hoppy to me. For I agree. A traditional style. We, want to, we, of course, want to mention our business section, how you can contact us. You can contact us by sending us email, beer at craftbeerradio.com. You can uh, put a pin on our Frapper map, frapper.com. There's a link on our website. Post on our website, which is craftbeerradio.com. And there's always the Podcast Alley website. Among other, there are other aggregators, too. iTunes, you can subscribe in yeah, iTunes. Yeah, subscribe in iTunes. Everyone subscribe in iTunes, because that way we'll go up on the list. We'll be on the top ten. Ooh, boy, I can't wait. You want to start off with some email? Yeah, well, we actually had um, a whole bunch of comments on... We have... There's there's two emails. There's a stone email sheet and a regular email sheet. Oh, okay. Because we had a whole bunch of comments on, on what I said about stone. Now, oh. let me clarify. I don't know if I really got forward what I was trying to say last week, which was that the aroma that I was getting off of the off of the 10th anniversary, it was not pleasant to me because of, I think, experiences I've had in the past where similar aromas have been in unpleasant situations. Okay. Uh, however, I don't necessarily think the aroma was bad. It wasn't turning me off. It wasn't making me disgusted. It was just like it was reminiscent of some flavors, that, of some aromas sure. that I, I've seen. And I think it was because it's a heavy alcohol burning. For, for listeners who might not remember, Greg said the aroma smelled like urinal. Yeah, it was urinal or, or, or dirty bathroom, that sort of thing. And it was just... I, I've smelled something similar. I'm not saying the exact aroma, but but a similar aroma, or at least had a similar 
kind of uh, bite to it that I think the heavy alcohol with the heavy hopping contributed to. Okay. And but I did enjoy the beer ultimately. I think I. I didn't say it was a bad beer. And no, I you, kinda, you did like it, but yeah. I mean, people are waiting for you to say something about uh, Stone. I was just trying to be honest. I was I was ready and willing to give Stone, you know, praise if uh, if it was good, and I did ultimately think the beer was good, but I, the aroma still. And it, that was just a personal thing, and I don't know whether anybody is really going to have the same reaction I did. In fact, some people are kind of questioning my sanity. Uh, for instance, Heath. <laughs> Uh, gave us an email saying, I'm not a huge fan of Stone myself, but you are nuts in your assessments. Must be missing the right gene. <laughs> well, uh, I hope not, because <laughs> that would You be have bad. a deficiency somewhere. Yeah. What else do we have here? Ben from Seattle says in an email, Stone 10th IPA. What? Now, Stone beers are not God's gift to beer drinkers that they are made out to be, but the 10th one is, the most impre- is one impressive brew. I guess I wouldn't say I'm amazed by Greg's reaction, but definitely surprised. It's the stone for people who don't like stone, I think. Now, I think the stone for people who don't like stone is um, maybe their IPA. Not Ruination, but their regular IPA. Right. But we actually have an email from, uh, from Andy who says, or a comment from Andy who says, you can get stone pale ale and levitation ale, which is stone's oft-forgotten, underrated, low alkali volume amber in supermarkets in L.A. as well. So maybe right. that's the stone for people who don't yeah, like Those stone. are good. Uh, you, we mentioned before the stone smoked porter. I think you'd like that. I don't think it's, you'd find it sticky. I think you'd find yeah, that a good I don't think I've well. ever had that one. I've had rose. No, I've had rose chocolate porter. I don't think I've had, had rose. No, I may have had rose or stone smoke porter but I think I was trying to compare it to Alaskan and it wasn't the yeah. same yeah probably but it's certain, but I don't remember it being very sticky no it's not let's see do we have any other oh here's an interesting one this is from JJ he left a comment on our on our boards and he said uh, I heard from a guy who works at a pretty respectable liquor store in my town of Fort Collins Colorado that stone is changing the recipe of their beer so they will be less sticky the guy was really bummed out because he really enjoyed the sticky quality of the stone line. Anyone else hear anything? Now, I think this got disputed, which, frankly, may be surprised to hear this from me. I don't think it's a good idea for Stone to change their line. Right. Stone has their fans, and as long as they, get, they have their fans, there's no reason for them to try to appeal to a wider market. People love the stuff. I know it's kind of a love it or hate it, and people who love it love it. Mm-hmm. Why mess with that? Right. I see no reason to. If you, if you want to release more stuff... Go ahead, but don't change your recipes. Right. You know, every time I heard Greg Cook being interviewed, it's always about, you know, he makes the beer he likes. Mm-hmm. And, well, he likes those beers. He's not brewing a beer to be aggressive, just right. to be aggressive. He just happens to like aggressive beers. I mean, and look at how much, look at how popular they are on certain things like Rate Beer and, and Beer Advocate. They're so high on the list. I know there was a recent Beer Advocate shuffle and they dropped to 10th. Instead of second, tenth. Say it isn't so. (laughs) But I mean, it's it's still extremely highly rated beer. Now that's an assessment that I disagree with, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they should change their recipe. Uh, So I don't. I don't think that's true. I really doubt that'll happen. Okay, we're drinking the Iinger Oktoberfest here. See, as it warms, I'm picking up something else. uh... Definitely getting some noble. Uh, flavor, a little bit of, of noble twang. I think I'm getting a little bit of sulfur. You think so? Tiny little bit of sulfur. I mean, I don't know whether it's sulfur or whether it's just the malt and the bitterness of the hops right together. I see where yeah, you're coming from. It could be the spicy noble hops, yeah. too. It was something I was trying to place. At first, I thought it was. Um, Something was like lemongrass, but then I took another whiff and it wasn't quite, it wasn't that. And then I took another whiff and still trying to figure out exactly what that aroma is. This is the room where we had the BJCB training classes down here in the basement. It doesn't smell oh. as much like urine as it used to down here. <laughs> I'm glad. It doesn't smell as much like 10th anniversary, you mean. Exactly. <laughs> uh, our, our last thing in the stone, I want, I want to read this comment that uh, John left. He said, my family is driving to Florida this winter. It's a 20-hour drive, so if you can take the time to map out for me the public bathrooms with hot pill room, I would appreciate it. I'll see what I can do for you. I'll, I'll put that on the Frapper map. Seriously, though, one of the great things about Stone is that they have an incredibly popular beer, but they don't overprice their beers like Three Floyds does. A case of 12 Bombers at the 10th anniversary costs $50 across the country here in Pennsylvania. This is a one-time release of a 10% alcohol beer, and it costs less than three bottles of Dreadnought IPA. I've seen Stone for higher than that. But I've yeah, seen the, the beer distributor by my house, Arrogant Bastards, like 
90 bucks for a 12 mm-hmm. I think it was a 12 pack but they weren't legally allowed to sell 12 packs until just recently so maybe it was for a whole case no I think they're 12 packs the stones that I've seen are pretty much bombing well they have the 12 pack box there yeah. but you might have had to buy two of them for that price because just until like two weeks ago a case of beer was 196 ounces which is over 12 bottles of 22-ounce beers. Are you sure? Because I've seen... I know my places had 12... There were places that would sell it. But it was like three weeks ago in the Vicini newsletter, they said they've changed the definition of a case. That they go by a total number of ounces. And now the number is like 148 ounces, which is... I think it's 148, but it's it's less than 12 22-ounce bottles. So you can buy a 12-pack of Bombers, the beer distributor now, legally. You used to be able to do it on the down low, apparently. But now it's legal. Interesting. Yeah, I always thought it was legal before because Save on Beer yeah. pretty much shows them as 12 packs. And I always thought a 12 pack of Arrogant Bastion was $89. But maybe it was a 24 pack. I mean, that would mean that that would mean that, that a, a 12 pack would have cost you 45 I don't I'm gonna see that. Rick Sellers was shocked when we said the, the bottle of 10th anniversary was six twenty five. He thought it was way overpriced. And I told him, if you want the D's, it'd be 15 bucks for that bottle. Yeah, probably. No, I, I was there. It was, about, uh, it was only about nine ninety five. Oh, really? So, okay. you know, three bucks Stones, more. Stones, like... Well, maybe it was eight ninety five. Ten percent 10% alcohol? They're basically giving that beer away. You would think. I mean, oh, there's a lot of profit margin. Well, of course, it smells like a restaurant. <laughs> I mean, I'm just surprised. That beer is so good. And 10% alcohol beer is... Co- excuse me. Cost a lot to make. And I'm just surprised that it's that price. I couldn't believe it was. And another another one that gives away a high uh, high alcohol beer is Weyerbacher when they have some of their high alcohol beers come out. The double IPA from Stouts is another reasonably priced one. Yeah, ten percent. It's for 24 12 ounce bottles. It's so like all you kids bucks. out there who want to get really drunk. <laughs> no, there's better ways to do that. <laughs> Beer's not the cheapest way to do that. No, it's not. But if you want to get really drunk and oh, enjoy here's your a, beer. Here's an email. Second point that Ben from Seattle had to make. He was uh, our pre-show beer. We did the uh, Red Hook Winter Hook. Right. We are talking about it. And remember how we, we liked it more? Yeah. Because we weren't thinking of it as, pre- as Christmas beers. Right. Well, he thinks, he's heard rumors that the Winter Hook is the original Red Hook ESB recipe. Now, some of you who are, you know, know about Red Hook, when they kind of partnered up with Anheuser-Busch and subsequent to that, people thought that their ESB recipe had slid downhill. They watered it down. It wasn't as good as it used to be. Mm-hmm. And this is a, an interesting, it's almost a conspiracy theory, don't you think? <laughs> Where, okay, so their ESB is not what it used to be, so let's put out a winter beer that is the old ESB recipe. It's plausible. It's plausible but because it sounds, their winter beer is not a winter beer. It's not what you would expect out of a winter beer. Yeah. Well, it's not what you would expect when you're drinking with a bunch of spiced Christmas ale right. type things, like yeah. we did last time we had it. And when we drank it this time, it was a respectable, solid brown ale, rich, you know, maybe ESB, I don't know, yeah. somewhere in that category. But, yeah, it was certainly different than what we remembered. I uh, can sp- put my tinfoil hat on, and, I- and I'll accept that theory because it sounds reasonable. Well, should we try that? We are finishing up. Yeah, I injure. Maybe we should see if we can get our hands on the Spaten. It's really good. So, so I just finished up the Anger. Yeah, that was a tasty beer. It has a lot of malt to it. The malt, it's a good, well-rounded malt, if mm-hmm. you can put it. There's a little bit of caramel there, but it's not a sweet malt. There's a nice dry finish to it. Hops are in there. That, that's a well-put-together beer. Absolutely. It's or, amazing that I, didn't, I used to not like lagers. Know, when I first got into right. craft beer, and now I can't get enough of, of like Oktoberfest. They're they're so good. Right. I had the um, Great Lakes Oktoberfest on Saturday mm-hmm. or Sunday. It's um it's a lot more in your face than these ones. All the ones we're having tonight are going. To be. But man, was that tasty! I mean, it was you know so flavorful. You'd almost want to call it an Imperial Oktoberfest. Not alcohol strength, but just. Yeah. Maltiness in that beer, but oh, it was so good. So. I have to give that a shot. Okay, we're going to pause here and get us the next beer. Spaten? It's Spaten time. From München. Mm, 5.9% alcohol by volume. This is brewed year round, but uh, according to our generous host, the Oktoberfest that's in uh, kegs is only brewed during the harvest season. So that's why the harvest right. one is going to be a lot fresher. Right. 
And that could explain last year how the draft version was so much better than the uh, bottle version. Not to mention the green skunk bottle. Right. <laughs> that too. So the aroma on this one. Now the glasses, we're drinking these out of the Spaten glasses. These are almost flutes. They're, think of a pint glass, but a third taller and half a, a third as wide. Kind of coned in at the top, right? Yeah, I think that, that's a good way to put it. This is a 5.9%, one-tenth one of a percent more alcohol than the Eyinger uh, from Spaten Franziskaner Brau in Munich, Germany, which opened production in 1397, a short time ago. Their annual just, production just a few years is, ago. Their annual production is 1,200,000 hectoliters. Mmm. Spaten was acquired in 1858 by Gabriel Settlemeyer. In 2003, was bought by Interbrew. Interbrew. Which is now InBev. The original brewery was founded some 600 years ago and took the, sa- and took the Spaten name 225 years later. Hmm. Now, aroma-wise, it's got slightly less aroma than the Eyinger. I think it's the glass. It's harder yeah. to pick aroma out of this glass. We we got half beers again, so we have a fair bit of headspace going on. What you can do is you can put your hand over the top and swirl it up, try to capture some aroma. I just think this has less aroma. I'm getting it's uh, getting more of a bready aroma. I'm getting yeah. um, uh, you know we, we mentioned the other one was kind of yeasty, but this is this is sort of a breadier yeast aroma. So the first thing that comes to mind with the flavor is is a lot more mar- malt, and it, it finishes tartar, a little, maybe not It's kind of like the, the, the Eyinger felt kind of full. It really yeah. it really kind of blew up in your mouth in terms of the flavor. You got hop, you get some malt on the side in the middle of your tongue, hoppiness in the back. This one is kind of straightforward malt right down the center of your tongue. It's a little, yeah, it's more malt forward than the Eyinger. You're getting a little bit of bitterness from the hops at the end. Uh, it's actually staying around a little bit sweeter. It's leaving kind of a sweeter aftertaste in the Eyinger. Now, Spaten is the world's first Oktoberfest beer, they claim. It was brewed for the greatest folk festival in the world, which is, we should mention the Oktoberfest. The big, I mean, we mentioned the, you know, it's a big harvest festival, but um, you go to Germany around this time and places Yeah, are I'm not sure exactly when Oktoberfest is, but huge beer garden. Beer. I was someone was telling me a story and recently. Ladies. Someone was telling me a story recently about you know you, you can't get a beer unless you're at a table, right? And if you leave your table to go to the bathroom, you could lose your spot. Mm-hmm. So some of the old guys would just go bathroom right at the <laughs> table so they don't lose their spot. <laughs> so they just pull it out and go under the table. Well. Remind me not to go to those parties. <laughs> now, we don't have the news story here, but I did want to mention a story that was in the news, which was about uh, a drug, which was it a, um, what was the drug? For originally uh, arthritis. For? It was an arthritis drug. They're finding, can repair liver scar, damage. Uh, yeah, uh, scar tissue in the liver. Yeah, which, which is um, psoriasis, right? Yeah. And it's an interesting concept. Yeah, people thought the liver couldn't be healed, but now there's some evidence that, oh, well, now we have a magic drug that can heal it. <laughs> even for people, they, I love, the article had some, and it was a British story, so it was like, even for people who can't give up alcohol, they can say, you know, heal their liver. I'm just like, okay. Binge drinkers rejoice. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, it does give those of us who are really into beer who don't, Necessarily binge drink, right? Uh, an idea that hey, you're not you're not really destroying your body, little by little. Sure, you, you can heal yourself with the the wonders of modern chemicals. There was um remember Doctor Steve? He sent me an email all about milk thistle a while ago. Yeah, and I was meaning to turn that into a segment about supplementing your beer drinking with milk thistle and how that can have beneficial effects. I never got around to it. Maybe I'll put that back on the you know back on the stove. Put that on the list. Cook that up. So we'll try. But to now we can add this to it. So. I'll try to put a milk for this whole thing on the show. As they say, better living through chemistry. <laughs> so what do you think about the Spaten Oktoberfest? I frankly like the Eyinger more. Me too. 
Um, we were upstairs ordering it. Hart, uh, he said he preferred the Spaten. Yeah. But it just, it's not as much of a, it feels like less of a beer than the... Although I took a different taster and I got some hot bitterness going around and, and hot bitterness kind of flaring around the side. So maybe it just needs a little bit of time to warm up. We have some other email, don't we? It has kind of, you know, the other one had sort of, um, the Iinger kind of a, a lemony sort of citrus, and this is more closer to tangerine-esque, I would say, in terms of the flavor you're getting. It's still citrus. Yeah. It, it still finishes dry. When I first had the first couple of sips, it seemed like it finished a lot more malty, but it's still a nice dry finish now. Just, it is, it it's is not as clean as a finish as yeah. the the Iinger, that's for sure. There's more lingering, uh, Mm-hmm. How would you put this flavor? Not tannic, but not far from it. Um, I guess it's a noble hop type the twang. The twang. I didn't want to, you know, boil it down to something as simplistic <laughs> as twang, but yeah. we we do bring that up a lot. We should probably mention what we mean by noble hop twang. We first started to to really try lagers and really before we started the show we noticed that when we tried lagers one of the reasons we didn't like them is that they all kind of tasted metallic to us they had right. a, a little tinny yeah or something. a little bit of, of, of something that we weren't we couldn't quite identify didn't quite appeal to us as we started to get used to more of the stuff and try more lagers we kept encountering that but as we found better and better lagers that flavor kind of rounded itself out a, bit, a little bit yeah. and we found or at least through some really fresh lagers we could taste that what we what we now call noble twang that is there before it becomes kind of metallic flavor. Right, it's, yeah. it's 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 interesting so sort it's, of acidic. It's probably, flavor, a, yeah. it's probably an oxidation of of the beer, older bloggers and bottles or something like that. Um, I would probably say oxidation. It's giving it that flavor. It's probably. Older beers. And it's probably related to the alpha acids that are in the noble hops. So we have a lot more email here. We sure do. Today was a busy week for email. We should do what beer am I first. Okay. Because we have an announcement about what beer am I. Oh, yes, we do. Well, I'm going to announce it first here and again later. Yeah. Uh, we are going to have a new email address for what beer am I, just so we can better organize and so Greg doesn't get all the what beer am I's. <laughs> so the new email address for entries for what beer am I is WBAI. Short for what beer am I at craftbeerradio.com. W-B-A-I. W-B-A-I at craftbeerradio.com. This week's winners... Also, make sure you get your what beer am I entries, your W-B-A-I entries in before February... Before... Five o'clock on Wednesday. Before Wednesday, because that... Or or by five o'clock on Wednesday, because that's when we do the show. So if you get your answer in after that... You Sorry. can feel good for getting it right, but... You're a but little the, SOL. The drawing's already been drawn. So this week's winners, we got a boatload of them. we got Scott, Justin, Tom, Ben, Carl, Brian, Heath, Street, Troy, Chris, Ryan, Jim, Dave, Barry, Amos, and Steve. Hmm. 16 entries. I Since hope this week's is harder. Since we're on location, we don't have our... Machine, so Heather is going to pick the winner. Pick a number between one and sixteen. Don't be afraid to pick one or sixteen, but don't necessarily pick that just because I said it. Twelve. Twelve. One, two, three, four. Jim, Jim N, wins the uh, East End Brewing pint glass, courtesy of East End Brewing Company. Buy a good friend a good beer. Congratulations, Jim. The other fifteen of you complain to Heather <laughs> she, for her not so random selection. <laughs> Okay, this year, or this year's, this week's What Beer Am I? The first clue. We're really messing up when we're on location, aren't we? Yes, we are. We're all out of our element. We're not in my studio with the crickets or anything. I am a pale ale brewed by a newer brewery. I am hopped four times with one hop variety. I was originally brewed in celebration of a bicycle event. Now I'm brewed year-round. If you know who I am, I may just give you a glass. New email address for your entries this week, wbai at craftbeerradio.com. If you send him the beer, Greg's going to yell at you. So back to the Spaten. Spaten Oktoberfest. Uh, it's 
it's just not the same, not enough of beer to, to compare to the Einger. It's too bad. I mean, the Einger was um, wow, really tasty. This is good. I don't want to say it's not good. It's a it's a really good Oktoberfest, but the Einger was definitely. We're already doing our, our rankings right here for the second beer. Well, it, it's hard to talk. It, it's really hard to pick out flavors in the Spaten. I mean, it's just. And it's hard to explain. It, the Einger was just such a nice beer for both the of us. The Einger was a little bit more well-rounded. It had a little bit more flavor going at it from all angles. And this one is kind of more malt-forward, like you said. A little bit more pushing towards the malty angle as opposed to any of the other angles. main flavor I'm getting now, and it's weird because this is the second time I want to say lemon, which isn't something you really should say in an Oktoberfest. But... You see, I got less lemon out of this than I got out of the Einger. I thought the Einger had more lemon flavor right. to it in terms of... At least the sharpness of... Yeah. Well, see, I'm not getting sharp lemon. I'm getting um, more lemon pith or something like okay, that. Okay, okay. And it's in the, the beginning, oh, let's say about three-quarters of the way through the taste, right in the middle of your tongue is where I'm getting, like, like old lemon, like, you know, like a lemon in your glass, like after, like, six glasses of water type thing. But the white part of the lemon, the, the pith is starting to come through, and the, the juices are gone. Yeah. I can sort of say that there's a kind of a bitterness, a kind of a, uh, a real earthy bitterness that does remind you of that. Let's see, we got some email we should go over. We got a bunch of them. We love getting email, beer at craftbeerradio.com. Or post a comment on the website. That's fine That's if you want to start a community too. discussion. I think maybe last week we kind of inferred we prefer email because someone sent an email saying he would normally post, but. I don't know. Leave a comment on the website if that's we, the way you want actually, to do it. We absolutely love comments. And in fact, our, com- our, our web space has gotten a lot more comments lately. And I think that's great. It really starts a good discussion among people. Mm-hmm. That's not to say that if you, don't want to, if you just want to email us, you, you, you can. I mean, definitely we also love the email as well. Right. Uh, Norm J has a comment about glass cleaning and care. He said he found a dish soap and a good rinse is all that's needed. Now... We talked about dish soap, and we really don't like dish soap because... If, if you mean it's not a good rinse, a very thorough and complete rinse, uh-huh. then fine. It's, it works fine. But I just prefer to use something that doesn't need to be rinsed exhaustively yeah. like dish soap does need to be. Uh, Norm says that a lot of bottle beers have very poor head retention. I know my home group brewed keg beers and bottle beers all have fine head retention. A lot of bottled beers that we've witnessed have a very high head retention, as a matter of fact. Well, head re- there's the initial head, and then there's retention right. after we drink it. And, I mean, you know, it was a decent head. We're at the bottom of the beer here, and I got a coating across the top, so it's still a decent head. Uh, not really much on my end. I mean, it's there if you swirl it up, but there's, there's not much of a, of a head here, and this right. is a... Very fresh glass. And, you know, look at what bars do. You have good bars like, like here, like at the Sharp Edge. They just wash them with water, hot water. They have a, it's a sanitizer type they do, solution. Do you use a sanitizer? Yeah. Okay. Oh, we had a couple comments about our sour beer hot ideas. Oh, had, okay. From, from Alexander and Keith. Alexander said, on sampling sour beers, in my opinion, both methods are cool. There was a question of whether we want to do a full sour beer show or whether right. we want to include sour beers kind of as an end note to a couple of shows. Uh, Alexander says a full flight of sour beer is something to do at least once. We really do pick up some of the subtleties beyond the sourness. And that's sort of the, the law of the yeah, same beer yeah, taste. That's a good point. I hadn't thought of it yeah. until he said that. Yeah, In fact, kinda... it's not that different from an IPA flight. On the other hand, if your feature beers weren't very bitter, a sour beer at the end of the main show could really mean a change of pace in the show structure. If you like to shuffle the cards a bit, that could be a cool way to do it. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm kind of mixed. I don't know which way really to go there. I, I, doing a sour show, I have a feeling that Sourness is such it's a just powerful. Gonna be, we're going to be it's, saying, it's, "Oh, it's yeah, tart. It yeah. tastes like raspberry." You know, it has a that kind of tartness to it, a citrus tartness. You know, yeah, beer running out of things beer. to say is really kind of an issue with the tart ones, with the sour ones. Because we could really make you could make things up. Oh, it tastes like oak and oranges and, <laughs> and creme de menthe. I could bring back the urinal reference. <laughs> uh, but Keith says he'd like to see a whole show on sour beers. I'm not sure what having an end beer that is different from a theme beer would accomplish. Now, a series of crazy sour or just crazy beers to the post show would be cool. Some of us do listen to the post show, he says. Um, so so Keith, is in the, Keith is more in favor of a full-on sour show. And I think that, uh, well, I think it's just something we got to do. I think we just have to try it. Yeah. It'll be fun. <laughs> It'll definitely Hopefully be fun. Hopefully we have things to say about the beers, that's all. 
this tastes like a Sour Patch Kid, whereas this one tastes more like you're sucking on a lemon. <laughs> mm. Oh, Keith, uh, um, is it the same Keith? Or? Yeah, same Keith. He sent us an email. He had Demon's Hopyard IPA up in oh, Connecticut. Oh, right. Yeah, we should talk about this. Um, basically, he was going to a, uh, a beer, a Budweiser beer garden. It's a lot different than the Oktoberfest beer gardens. He was at the county fair, and they have those big you know, beer gardens there. Right? Right. It's the only place you're allowed to drink alcohol in the fenced-off area. And they had either Bud Light or Demon IPA. Now, the choice there is pretty obvious. Right. Uh and since, since he was socially committed to staying in the beer garden for an hour or two, my friend showed up. He was quite excited. <laughs> Although the Demon IPA isn't really on par with any of the mainstream craft beer IPAs like Harpoon or whatever you normally drink, it also wasn't bad by any measure. It demonstrated the relentless quality of other AB beers, which really try hard not to suck. Um, uh, there are a lot of AB beers which, which may try hard not to suck, but they do. Uh, <laughs> for such, such as Budweiser or Bud Light. Um, <laughs> Demon IPA, I think that, you know, when we tried it, I really did enjoy it. Now, we did not have other IPAs to compare it to. Right, yeah. I mean, if we compared it with American IPAs, I don't think it would stand up very well. If we compared it with some English IPAs, English-style IPAs, mm-hmm. I think it would stand up fairly better. There, there's a certain amount of just prejudice that comes into this. And if you tried it without seeing the label and you tried it blind you might rank it higher because it was pretty well balanced from what I remember and it was an interesting had a great hop curve I really enjoyed the, the, the curve right. of hop flavor that you got from there where which was different than a lot of other hop beers which tend to be you know have a much, a much sharper curve mm-hmm. uh, so I really do wonder what how it would fare if you tried it blind it, it, I think it really would depend on your expectations I mean if you're drinking it and you expect a, an American IPA I'm not going to stand up. Yeah. If you think you're tasting ESBs, English IPAs, stuff like that, I think it'll stand up better. It all depends on what you're looking for out of the beer. Sounds good. Now, Oktoberfest, they say, is primarily promoted from August through October. Those are uh, probably the draft versions. Right. Uh, and they also offer plenty of crap for you, like glassware, coasters, posters, and an assortment of decorative items. So if you want some crappy tchotchkes... Uh, see if you can find uh, a place that is specializing in putting out this spot in Oktoberfest. Well, want to go on to our next one? Sure. Uh, we all, the next one's going to have to be in the bottle since they didn't yeah. tap that a third keg for us. These are all these are all European Oktoberfests. Oh. All German ones, actually. Yeah, we'll have to. Uh, yeah, we'll probably get something else from Munich, and maybe we'll finish it off with an American one. So, I'm not sure what we're going to have to look at the menu. So, we'll be back in just a few. Okay, we're back with the third beer of the evening. Polliner Oktoberfest Meritzen Amber. They have Hacker Shore here, but we're going to skip it because it was a green bottle. That was the uh, Hofbrauhaus. It was a Hofbrau, okay. Uh, it's was, it was a green bottle and... Uh, it's uh, like Russian roulette. Yeah. <laughs> you never know what you're going to get. This is, uh, let me see, Polliner Oktoberfest 5.8%. It's a fall release, as they should be. From Polliner Salvatore Thomas Brau in Munich, Germany. Opened in 1634. A lot of old breweries down there in Germany. So the first thing I get in the room on this one is it's a lot more toasty. Toasty, a little bit uh, under sort of a clearer aroma. It's hard to say watery from an aroma, but because I haven't tasted it yet, it it feels clearer. It feels like a little bit more spaced out. This is uh, from a bottle, like we said, because they only had two on tap. Okay, first off, it's way too cold right now. Mm. Way too cold, right. Way, way too cold. A little bit hard to figure out some flavors in there. But there is kind of... I'm getting um, hoppiness. Yeah, I uh, had... Um, oh, I had a Sam Adams Oktoberfest uh, Friday as well. I've heard a lot of buzz about the Sam Adams Oktoberfest this year. Uh-huh. Just about how good it is, how good it stands up with the German ones. And I had it at Max and Irma's and... I asked for a beer in a room temperature glass, and it came. It was so cool. I was like, oh, dang. They gave me a, uh, a frosted glass. So I spent 20 minutes wrapping my hands around it, warming it up. And, and once it came up the flavor, it tasted good. It was rounded when it was when it was cold. There was that lager bite that we didn't like. So yeah. maybe that's part of the reason we didn't like lagers is we were drinking them way too cold when Could we first be. started out. But when I warmed it up, oh, it was a nice beer. So I ordered the second one. I'm like, can I please get it in a room temperature glass? And she's like, the, and she went and brought back. He's like, the last one was room temperature too. I'm like, well, then your your cooler is just yeah. These beers shouldn't be served at 33 degrees. 
It was, it was a frustrating event. It's funny because one of the uh, Budweiser guys we talked to uh, at, at the event, you know, I hate to keep going back to that, but he was, he said he was kind of upset that a lot of places cooler. I, I asked them about. That was one of the questions yeah. I asked. I'm like, okay, you know, so a lot of the places Bud comes in a frosted mug. Do you guys tell them to do that? Do you tell them not to do that, or or is it you know just not talked about? I'm like, no, we. We kind of prefer that they don't do it, but our bars will go ahead and do it anyway, because that's what the drinker wants. I kind of say, you know, a lot of that is, is that Coors perception, you know, the cold tasting, got to have it super cold. Yeah. And in a sense, they, they, all these beers are kind of refreshing when they're cold because there's no taste in them. They just go down like water, and water is pretty refreshing in and of itself. So we're just trying to have this cooled down. Now, Nick uh, has an email about the Eau Courant. We talked about that. Uh, first of all, he says it's named a bit, a bit of a. This is a dogfish heads au courant, the uh, current flavored beer, which, man, I enjoy whenever I get my hands on it. Uh, the name is a bit of a pun. He says the phrase au courant being a French phrase meaning characteristic of recent times or informed of what is current. The current. The courant, however, that is being referred to as the black current, Ribus nigrum, which is, I assume, related to Piper nigrum, which is pepper, black pepper. Um, Ribus nigrum is a relative of the gooseberry, and there are black currants, red currants, and white currants. The black variety being the most strongly flavored and common variety for beverages. Just to make things even more confusing, in American recipes often call for currants, which are actually Zante currants, type of small raisin. There's nothing to do with true currants. I believe they, were, uh, they got the name as a corruption of Corinth, where the grapes first grew. There's no fruit named Courant, and the French... And in France, these fruit are referred to as a cassis, and thus creme de cassis and cassis alambics, for instance. Yeah, we're pretty familiar with the cassis yeah. as in lambic. And it was you who, you know, informed me that cassis is a black currant, so. Yeah. Uh, there seemed to be some confusion on whether currants and cassis are the same thing. They are. Black currants are almost impossible to find in the U.S., but they are popular in the U.K. and continental Europe. Rabina is a popular drink syrup over there that is concentrated black currant juice. You can probably tell I'm quite fond of the fruit and have tried two years in a row, rather unsuccessfully, he says, to grow them in my backyard. I've made blackcurrant ciders, meads, and wines, and tried a number of blackcurrant beers, though sadly not the Okoran. Well, thanks, Nick. It's great to have a whole big, you know, big thing on, on currants because it is an interesting ingredient. Right. We've got an email from Andy, our uh, Jewish history expert. <laughs> yes. Apparently the year is 5767, That's and not whatever Greg said last week. I, I think I said 57-something, or because it's 56, I don't know. 57, you know, sound right. I knew it was in that area. We had a pronunciation gate. Where's that at? Oh, here it is. Uh, David is... and Devin both sent in pronunciation gate. We said uh, point raise. It's point reyes, two syllables. And Marin is pronounced Marin rhymes with tin. How should we say it? Not Probably Marin. Marin. Oh, okay. Probably. Well, that's because we're ignorant uh, East Coasters. <laughs> yeah, what are you going to do? We do live in Pittsburgh, Yins. This is the uh, the Polliner Oktoberfest Meritzen. This one has a nice malt to it. Yeah, it is really almost... We said the Einger kind of approach toffee... This one kind of hits it square on. You know what? This is the um, same brewery who does Salvatore, the Salvatore Doppelbach. Okay. And I'm getting some similar flavors between the two. The caramel, the uh, the caramel toffee that's in this beer reminds me of what you get out of the Salvatore Doppelbach. Yeah, the Polliner, uh, I'm enjoying it more than the, the Spaten. I, just, I really it has it's if you can imagine one of these visual things I'm trying to visualize it the synthanasia that I have there's a circle of hop bitterness and inside that is, is sort of a toffee like malt toffee uh, caramel esque okay yeah the hops you really don't notice unless you think about them because it, it's a nice malty beer but it does finish really dry on the tongue and. You certainly get some... Oh, yeah, that was hops that did that to my mouth. Feel on here. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, here's a great email that I had a good response to, so I wanted to cover it on the air. Uh, Chad wrote in. He mentions that he's had several beers on tap that have uh, been better than the bottled versions. So he wanted to know, is fresh beer necessarily better? 
Of course it can be. However, my question is aimed at crafters who choose not to bottle their beers based on the notion that it should only be drank fresh. For instance, the Iron Hill Brewery displays a logan which reads, Born on data is not a match for born on premises. Breweries such as these have a mentality that fresh beer is the best beer, thus we are never going to bottle for the masses. Uh, Iron Hill has six locations, and I'm sure bottling beer is not a monetary issue, he says. Is this a way to get people to come into restaurants and spend nine bucks for a burger? Maybe. However, I have to ask if it's common practice or is hindering the objective of the craft brewing industry. You wrote back to him a long response. And I had a good response. To bring this up. And uh, there's several different points there. Um, first thing I wanted to mention is, on average, draft beer is going to be fresher than bottled beer. If you go to a bar and you have, for example, we have Spaten on tap, mm-hmm. Spaten in the bottle. Draft beer is going to be brewed more recently than the right. bottle in almost every case. I don't have hard numbers on how much fresher those beers are, but draft beer, we've had it before. We've noticed that phenomenon where draft beer is almost always better than the bottled yeah. stuff. The next thing I wanted to mention is for brew pubs like the Iron Hill, when you are brewing beer on premise and serving it on premise, there's something like a 700 or 900% profit margin on the ingredients. So you could see for them... Mm-hmm. You serve on beer on premise. You you make a marketing slogan. Make a heck of a lot more money. You make a marketing slogan to say fresh beer is better. I think it's kind of a smokescreen for saying you know we don't want a bottle because we're going to lose some of our margins. You a lot of our brew pubs around here that are brew pub only. I mean you know John Harvard's North Country. Right. You you see about twenty different beers a year. You would say right North Country. You'll see at least twenty different styles of beer throughout the year. Right. For the Church Brew Works, you don't see that many. They pretty much stick with their main. They have two rotating seasonals, and they bottle four beers. I do not know if the amount of beers they have on tap is decreased because they bottle, but the number of bottles they put out is definitely limited to a smaller number because you have to get label approval for each beer. When you're a brew pub, you can make out recipes. You can put them out there. You don't have to go through as much red tape to make these new beers, so they can kind of experiment more. So if brewers have to conform around the bottling line, you're not going to see as much selection. So when he asks if it's hurting the industry, I'd have to say no in that case. I would prefer to go to a brew pub that has more freedom to do variety and expose people to more kinds of beer than a brew pub that's tied down to producing several kinds of bottled beer. Well, the church has four beers a day. Uh, that they put out into bottles, but they still do other stuff. Like I said, they rotate. They rotate seasonals, and they um, they don't have to get label approval on those, obviously, right? Because they don't bottle. Well, yeah, they do bottle a couple. They bottle the Millennium Triple on occasion, and some other ones. You know, the bottle conditioning beers, and they do have to get label approval on those. They gotta but, try that blueberry quad again. <laughs> or yeah. was it blackberry? I, I think it was blueberry quad. I think so. But I was just saying, if I had a choice between a brewery like North Country Brewing, who is always having new stuff on. And the Church Brew Works, who has a much... If you totaled up the total number of beers they had on tap throughout the year, I, I, North Country would be a lot more, I think. I, and I haven't done any scientific research here. So, I mean, my opinion there is I, I would pick variety over reach, over distribution. As for um, brew pubs, bottling, you know, he said they have the money to do it. Bottling lines cost a lot. East End Brewing Company is a draft-only brewery, so they don't have the 900% profit margin. Their margins are a lot lower because they have to go through a distribution chain to get to mm-hmm. the bar. So he wouldn't be cutting into his profits as much by going, by going for bottling, but he hasn't deemed it's worthwhile to purchase a bottling line or a canning line. And uh, he's also a sustainable, self-sustain, you know, green sustainability-type brewery, so he didn't see bottling as being very... Uh, eco-friendly canning would be awesome I'm sure he'd sell a lot yeah. that would sell a lot of beers if we could figure out a way to can them he he's uh, he's been looking at the idea do you want to go for the victory now sure have, let me finish uh, up the yeah, finish up uh, the, the Polliner Oktoberfest the Polliner Oktoberfest like we said you know it's just kind of running out of things to say about Oktoberfest like it's a little bit but it's uh, it's got a toffier kind of flavor you know what, this fuller. last sip I just had now was the best sip. It's almost room temperature now. And maybe that's too warm for an Oktoberfest, but I am liking this now. Mm-hmm. Got a lot of that. Instead of toffee, I'm getting more caramel now. So it's less toasted. That you know, Toffee would be more of a burnt toasted sugar, right. where caramel is more of a creamy, not that burnt part. I'm getting more caramel now out of it than I got 
toffee before. I can see that I had my last sip a couple uh, minutes ago, so I mean I'm not able to compare with Jeff, but I did notice. Yeah, as it warmed okay. up, it got a lot better. Okay, now we're doing the Victory Fest beer, Victory Brewing Company out of Downingtown, Pennsylvania, and I bet you this is one Hoppy Mofo. This is the first one of the first beers I'm pouring on the show. Jeff does most of the pouring. This time, Greg's not even pouring. In. It's close enough. Yeah. I just used myself in the third person for I think the first time ever on the show. You pretentious son I, of a gun. I, I don't know why I did it. It's not something I do. Well, I'm getting a little bit of malt through this head here. We didn't mention color in the last couple of beers. This one's darker than the, uh, the very first one, the Anger. This one's very clear. It's orangey. It, it's it's more sort of a dark orange for, uh, color. Would you say chestnut? I'd say it's a little too light to be chestnut. Okay. Maybe walnut. All right. We're getting another bready aroma. Yeah, definitely. Maybe uh, you know, maybe some Munich malt or something like that. I don't really know what Munich malt smells like, so I wouldn't be able to. Uh, we'll have to get some malts. Add that to a repertoire. Yes, good idea. Buy some different kinds of malts and just taste Northern them. Northern brewery, just sort of buy them. Pound the malts, only a couple bucks. Hmm. Is it a hoppy mofo? I don't know if it's totally no. hoppy, but there's the, it's more hop forward than the other ones. It's The, the first thing I taste is hops. Uh, and... Hmm. Body on this one is drastically reduced from... What the other ones are like, it seems. Kind of a little bit of sourness. Uh, I'm trying to, to pick out what that flavor exactly There's is. There's like... That's weird. I'm getting a um, kind of ginger ale type sensation. The malt like is coming through the at the end. We did this beer last year for Oktoberfests. Did we? Yeah. I'm not sure exactly what we said about it. but This one isn't... See, the thing is, like the, all the other three were... Martsons. They're very clearly Martsons. Right. This one doesn't feel Martsony to me. It feels more. It feels more like a, a strongly hopped uh, Vienna. That could be a way to put it. It's been a while since I've had a Vienna lager, so I'm not sure if I remember exactly. You, you just, I mean, like you said, you expect it to be a hobby mofo. I, I didn't. It's not like blasting you with hops, but it's, but not it's also, definitely hop it's, forward. It's light on the malt too, though. It seems. Yeah. Uh, we got a uh, package of beers from Alex. Uh, we're going to be doing a Kolsch show next week. Awesome. So thank you, Alex, from Portland. Awesome. I've been looking forward to doing a Kolsch show. Yeah, let's see some of the beers. We have um, Alaskan Summer, Hales, Ales Kolsch, Shiner Kolsch, and uh, one other one that I'm not remembering. Kolschy Kolsch. Kolschy Kolsch. Here's a comment on our one of our websites from uh, one of our websites on our only website uh, from Drew from Maryland. This is a great one. There is an eatery that serves breakfast all day, and they have a smutty nose porter. It goes well with all the breakfast food. The coffee notes pair well. Aha! Aha! Nice. We were right. I knew it. I think they're just uh, trying to make us feel well. Maybe. But man. I tell you what, I was at home with my parents uh, this weekend, uh, and we were trying some different beers. I was, I was giving them an example, and they kind of didn't believe me when I was po- pointing out that beers go great with food. We tried the Evan Fitzgerald Porter with some lamb. It didn't really go that well. It was a little bit too roasty, but there was some left over for the chocolate cake we had afterwards. And it was perfect with the chocolate cake because it was really dark chocolate uh, it was it just paired so well and it wiped all that fattiness from the uh, from the frosting off your tongue. It worked perfectly. It was a great dessert beer as it turned out. I had a great food and beer pairing this past week as well, where we went out to lunch and I had this hot seafood salad. It was crab and shrimp and a butter sauce. And it came on the side and you poured it on your salad greens. And I knew I was gonna order this. I I, I was picking the restaurant for lunch, and I knew I wanted to go there and have that salad. So I was looking, like, they had Orval there. And, ah. and I'm like, the tart Orval going with the buttery and the, the crab, the sweet crab, it was probably one of the best beer and food pairings I've ever done. It was so good. You know it's magic when it just sort of teams up so perfectly. It feels like they're meant to go together. Yeah, that was perfect. I was savoring. Uh, our last email of the week we have is from Sean. 
Uh, he says he got to done listening to the first Porter show. He says, let me help you place the off taste in Mad Anthony's Porter. It's something he likes to call perm solution. All their beers are that horrible off taste. It's been like that since they started and persists in each style that they brew. The only thing that the only thing to make that doesn't have that is the IPA, which I assume the hops are masking. He says their beers are boring, often bad, and unoriginal. Wow. <laughs> Someone who uh, has some bad experience. Yeah. See, Perm Solution, I'm very intimate, familiar, intimately familiar with that um, smell right now. Heather got a perm yesterday. And, <laughs> and I don't think that... Um, that it smelled like uh, Matt Anthony's. Maybe you, you don't even have to like smell her hair, Greg. But if you're within like three feet of her, you can still smell it. <laughs> it's so, that bad? I, I think I'm, it lasts for like five days before the smell goes away. I'm at seven feet from her, just because it's a big table. Yeah, no, no. And I smell. She's not even near me. But uh, I think it's ranking time. <laughs> yeah, it's ranking time. Let's see here. Well, I have my ranking. Mine's easy. We match together. Yeah, I think. I'm pretty sure. Number one, Anger Oktoberfest. Absolutely. First beer we had, it was hoppy and malty and full-bodied, and the glass was cool. I don't know if that had anything <laughs> yeah. to do with it, but it was a really good beer. Number two, I'm going to make the Polliner Oktoberfest. Right. It's the bottled one, but it had more roasty, caramelly, toffee flavors let than it, the Spaten did. Let it warm up a bit. Don't drink it really cold. Number three. Hmm. I'm oh, Spaten, Yeah, Spaten had some. The, the victory came across as just... Not to style. I mean, we had three other Oktoberfests, and the victory. If I really remember right, last style. year we kind of placed the victory really low to the style as well. If I remember right, it's except for maybe the minus the skunked ones and the green bottles. <laughs> I mean, when I won in October, I won a hot. I won. I'm sorry. I won a malt forward beer. I won. Yeah. Well, at least something that's malty enough to really taste the malt. I don't want it to be masked in any way by hops. The hops can be there. They can be present. But I want the malt to really be the star of the show. Right. That's the Martin style to me. And I don't think the Victory yeah. does the right uh, job here with that. Yeah. It, Victory, do, you know, they take pride in their German-style beers. They take pride in their ingredients. And I don't know. I mean, maybe we try, need, to, need to try the Fest beer under different expectations. Maybe well, I mean, what better way to try it than under an Oktoberfest show? Maybe it's not supposed to be a... Bavarian Oktoberfest. Maybe it's supposed to be... Well, it says on, on, on the label, and that was not the best way to do it, but a rich amber lager in the, in the tradition of Oktoberfest. Well, then, okay. Well, in the tradition means they take, take some liberties yeah. from it. In the tradition means you're brewing a beer after the harvest. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it just really doesn't compare to the good German Oktoberfests. And, you know, I didn't have them the same day, but the, excuse me, the Great Lakes would... would Blow the doors off that thing. <laughs> so such is the way of things. You know, some of the other Oktoberfests I've had this season, I've had the Brooklyn and the Flying Dog. Those were both very good Oktoberfests. Excellent, isn't yeah. it? I mean, it really is good. Those are both very good. I'm trying to think if I've had any other Oktoberfest this year. I don't think so. Well, that's all for Craft Beer Radio. Hope you liked our on-location show. Hopefully we weren't too rambling. We were a little thrown into a tizzy. We had to move the recording rig three times. <laughs> we set up the first time, and the power outlet wasn't active. We moved to the second time, and they started playing the jukebox after yeah. the pre-show. So now we had to come downstairs here, and this was the third location of the show. But this, this one works for us. So let's go get some good Belgian beer and uh, do the post-show. What do you say? I know you want to do the Southern Tier, but I'm all for Belgians right now. All right, tune into the post-show to hear us have some of the great Belgians of Belgium. <laughs> That's all for Craft Beer Radio. You can send us feedback to beer at craftbeerradio.com and feel free to send us an audio comment in MP3. The opening and closing music was Out of Towners from the band St. Dragon and was found on the Podsafe Music Network, music.podshow.com. Craft Beer Radio is released under the Creative Commons license. Check out craftbeerradio.com for more information.
will find a hidden place in the people that he 